The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. Welcome back to another episode of Interface. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and I'm joined with Sierra and Maddie. And today our guest is Bobby Kyle. He is an IT advisor at Central Louisiana Electric Company. He has over 25 years experience in engineering and information technology leadership roles. He currently works as an IT advisor, assisting leadership with implementing IT strategies with business goals. In addition to this, he serves as a subject matter expert in the areas of quality engineering and works with cross-functional leadership to deliver high-quality software, optimize processes, and improve time to value. Previously, he was the global head of quality engineering at Pros, where he was an active member of Empower, who also sponsors this podcast, um, the Employee Resource Group for Black Employees. He is passionate about people development and is a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Bobby graduated from Prairie View A&M University, where he earned a BS degree in mechanical engineering, born and raised in Houston, and is a proud husband and father. In his free time, Bobby loves to cook, spend time with family, and is an avid car and motorcycle enthusiast. In addition to all of that, uh, Interface has been doing a networking challenge. We asked some of our executives to nominate wonderful guests, and Bobby was nominated by Sue Neal, our chief product officer. So he is the first of, um, and there will be more to come. Welcome to Interface, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Do- how are you guys doing? It's great to see you all again. It's been a, it's been it's been a, a while, but I'm doing fantastic. That is awesome. We're doing great. We're happy to see you. Where we like to start is, mm-hmm. can you yep. share with us your uh, how you came to be interested in technology and have a career in technology? What was your journey? Good question. So. I graduated from Prairie View uh, in 1994 with an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree. And the way I get into technology is coming out of school. The very first job that was offered to me was a, a job as a flight verification engineer out at NASA. So um, I started off verifying flight path software um, in 1994. And the rest is history. I never looked back. Um, since then, I've had you know, roles at uh, engineering and um, IT uh, related roles for the, the next 30 years. So 
that's how I got into it. Uh, when, when I uh, first started at NASA, it was interesting. And so I decided to stick with it. That's, that's, that's how I got into technology. How did you gravitate towards the quality engineering side? So as a flight verification analyst, what that is, is you, this is back in the nineties now. So you're, you're getting data dumps and you're analyzing that, that flight software, you know, the trajectories, the abort pass and things like that. So that actually started off as a true, uh, very low level, um, quality engineering job. And so my career from there jumped into, uh, the healthcare industry and then, um, you know, uh, system software where I got into management. So that's, that's how I got, how I gra gravitated to uh, the quality engineering field. Yeah. And Bobby, for people who don't know what quality engineering is, I, so I work with QEs as a PM. Um, can you maybe tell us what quality engineering is and how it differs across those various industries that you were in? So healthcare to software. All right. Sure. Great question. So. Let's talk about quality engineering versus quality assurance, right? Uh, they're different. And so starting with quality assurance, quality assurance is basically taking uh, business specifications, functional specifications, and validating functionality, um, uh, either functional or non-functional, which is, um, you know, manual automation or performance and, and load testing versus the requirements. And when you look at quality engineering, it really spans outside of what you guys typically think of uh, QA. It starts at the very, very beginning, shift left, uh, and we work on identifying processes throughout the entire software development lifecycle that will improve the quality of uh, the software or the deliverable. So that's the difference between QE and QA. Now, when we talk about the difference between um, different, uh, excuse me, QE across the different industries, it's really about the software that you're testing, right? Um, if you look at the roles in IT, uh, those are companies where you consume software, you integrate them and you test them. Um, when you look at the engineering companies that I've worked for, uh, these, the software's built in-house. So it's a little bit more complex, meaning that you're actually part of the, the engineering or development lifecycle. Um, and so those are the differences between, uh, the various industries that, that I, I've, uh, I've worked for. Do you see it? Because you mentioned, you, you know, being at NASA, which is aerospace, and then um, healthcare. Is there any fundamental differences between those two industries, or is being in the role quality, quality um, engineering kind of the same? It's the same, Jennifer. It's it's really the same. Um, NASA was a little bit was way more complex than than healthcare, of course. Uh, but your, your role of being the life of what you do, um, it's typically the same. It's just, what are you actually, um, testing and, and validating, uh, the software solution or solution is what's different. Discover how pros enterprise AI can help you drive profitable growth at outperform 2024 held at the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress in Orlando, Florida, May 20th through 22nd, 2024. Hear from keynote speakers, Dr. Michael Wu, Chief AI Strategist at Pros, and Andres Reiner, Pros President and CEO. Register today at www.pros.com slash outperform. So what would you say is your daily, um, you know, day in the life? You know, what does what your typical day look like as an IT advisor or head of quality engineering? 
All right, let's, let's, let's start with, um, let's take care of quality engineering. Um, the very first thing that I do first thing in the morning is I check my email, uh, just to ensure that nothing urgent came in overnight after hours or what have you. Um, I also looked through my email to make sure that, uh, if there was any emails that I did not respond to, uh, or any questions that needed answering, um, that I respond to those first. Um, the second thing that I do is I check in with my team. So I check in with the, the QE leadership team, uh, especially, uh, the ones that are overseas, perhaps, uh, to make sure that we don't have any hot burning topics, any challenges, anything, uh, that needs my, my urgent attention. Um, the next thing throughout the day, of course, as you know, Jennifer, cause you're in these meetings as well, uh, best cross team collaboration. So we talk about, you know, uh, projects that are, that are, um, currently in progress. And we talk about pro uh, projects that are coming down the pipe. Uh, we make sure that we have, you know, resources aligned. We understand, uh, the requirements and we have those types of discussions, talk about the risk and also talk about, you know, what is it that we need to consider? Um, at the very beginning in terms of improving quality, whether that's extended time for automation, uh, bringing performance testing in sooner rather than later, uh, or just making sure we have enough peak, meaning sometimes we have to slow down projects, uh, to speed other ones up. So it's, it's more of that. And then, uh, the last thing that I spend time on, uh, throughout the day is strategic planning. We talked about a little bit of that in terms of. You know, what are, what will, what will we be working on in Q1, Q2, Q3? Um, what is the strategy for the QA organization? Um, as you know, we, you know, for example, we went from mostly manual testers to automators, uh, and, and right before I, I left, we were looking at AI. So, um, that's a day in the life, a typical day in the life of, of, um, of a quality engineering uh, director. Uh, and of course, it's recording we double as required, the you know, by leadership. Side of QEQA. Um, my understanding, you know, you have a, like you said, the functional idea of what should happen. And then you, uh, you have QEs that go in and kind of test is, is things breaking or the behaviors as expected. So that's kind of maybe the surface level that I think the majority of people understand. So the automation, the, the AI aspect, like the actual strategy of QEing and not just, you know, we're just going to throw people to make sure things aren't broken. Can you, can you talk about how you look at the strategy side of Q, uh, quality engineering? Right. So, um, you know, at every company that I've ever worked for cost has always been a factor. So, uh, the old ideas of just throwing more QEs at a problem, uh, that doesn't work today. Um, so you have to think of ways that you can do more with less, uh, and to do that, uh, what we, what, uh, one of the, one of the ways that we do that is we bring in automation and automation, um, brings down, um, the cost of your regression, uh, test cycles. And so that is, that was the focus is to go out and automate as much as possible so that we can run that. It's, it's, it takes less time, uh, it's lower cost, uh, and it's, and it's, um, it's more accurate. So that was the first thing that, that we really wanted to do was bring down the time to value, uh, from a testing perspective, uh, bring down the cost of testing. Um, and it's, it's significant. It could be, you know, as large as 80% time savings at some, in some instances. Um, and then as you continue to go down that path of transformation, 
um, you need to look at better tools. And the tools that are available today, uh, most of them are leveraging um, AI. And AI is important. Uh, there is no limit to, to, to what you can do with AI. Um, and one of the things that, that we're looking at is using tools that um, there's a Jira plugin that you can use that will read a user story and then create manual test cases. Now, those manual test cases need to be verified, of course, but using tools like that to generate the manual test cases, and then you can use or leverage AI uh, to write automated scripts, you know, especially if you have uh, quality engineers that are, um, that are less technical. Um, and then last but not least, using things like machine learning uh, to read uh, data you know, that's coming into your support organizations to better understand uh, where defects are coming in and um, report out on your metrics. So yeah, that was great. Did I ask your question? You did, you, did, you, did I go deep enough? You, you hit me with all those terminology and vocab, and we're trying to demystify right. technology. So can you maybe give me a very quick, you know, 101 on QE of these, the vocab, regression, functional, smoke testing, all, all that stuff, automation. What, what exactly is that, does that mean? All right, so let's start with uh, um, the first, the first uh, thing you asked about functional testing. Functional testing is basically taking a, a business requirements document, reading it, and then writing a manual test case, the test case to validate that piece of functionality or that workflow. All right, uh, that's typically, those are new test cases. When we talk about regression test cases, those are test cases that you've already executed at least once. So those are regression test cases to make sure that as Jennifer and her team, as we're adding functionality, we did not break existing functionality. So uh, it's very important. I mean, and especially for Jenny's team, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, why you gotta put us on the spot no, like no, that? No, 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 she's... <laughs> No, she's, Jennifer's always been great, but, but no. Um, and then when you talk about the different levels of testing, when you talk about floor regression, what that means is every test case that you have in, in your test suite. When you look at high risk regression, what that means is, you know, you've worked with your developers or your architects to say, Hey, here are the things uh, that are at, uh, the highest risk. And this is what we want to focus on. Uh, some of these other test cases are low risk because we haven't touched that area of the code or touched that integration or what have you. So, so think of high risk as a mid-grade mid uh, test suite, typically 60% of your test cases or, or so. And then a smoke test is when we get down to like the last few defects uh, in a release and they're very targeted and you basically want a sanity check plus validate uh, those last few defects to make sure um, that nothing was broken. So it's the lowest level in terms or the lightest level of, of test covers that you've got to perform. What advice would you give um, up and coming uh, technologists who are interested in quality engineering? Is there some sort of career path they should do or things that specific things they should study? I guess let me answer it a different way. What I would say to anybody who's up and coming and wanting to get in, into leadership is number one, uh, make sure you get some coaches, make sure that you, you reach out and you find mentors early on in your career that can help guide you, um, down, down a leadership path. Um, 
The other thing I would say is before you pick quality engineering uh, development support or anything, I think you should work in, in, in different organizations so that you understand not only the relationship, but you don't know what you like until you try it. So once you make a cycle around, um, you know, the different cross-functional groups, maybe, you know, maybe quality engineering is what you, you want to, um, to, to land on. Um, the next thing I would say is make sure that you stay curious and make sure that you stay abreast of uh, emerging technologies. Um, that's what I would tell anybody that wanted to come through this path. Speaking of emerging technologies, I, I was interested, you touched a little bit on AI as you were talking through um, sort of your day in the life. And I'm interested, obviously, AI is impacting us all and how we work. Um, I'm interested in how you and your team may be leveraging AI to be more effective um, in your role and roles. So, in my, yeah, in my current role, um, we're, we're just at the very cusp of of getting into um, to AI. Um, if you look at it more broadly, again, um, I think that that you know most of the the, the, the places that I, I I work for or talk to, I think they're trying to figure out what is the right path, you know, in terms of risk uh, in, in leveraging AI. I mean, I think it's there is unlimited untapped potential, um, but you know, how do you get into it? Um, the right way, I think, is the, the, the biggest challenge. Um, I know when I, when I was at Pros, we were looking at it again um, to analyze support data uh, to see if we could use that to, to, to create defect leakage. Also, for some of our, um, like I said earlier, some of our less, less technical resources, we, we were using that as a training assistant to say, hey, you know, write me a price method or, or how do I write, you know, a, a Indian workflow for price method, and you could use that, and and you know any of these AI tools, and it'll spit out code snippets uh, that can help expedite your testing. Awesome, yeah. I'm still also trying to find small ways that I can leverage AI um, in my day to day work. So yeah, I was just interested in if you guys were starting to use so yeah um, more effective in your day to day. Thanks. Yeah, so Sierra, just to, to make sure that, that I, I close on that, um, you know, I use it every day for me personally, you know, and, and, and to help with my career. But one of the things that I would advise is make sure you validate to the best of your ability the, the, the information that you're receiving from, from tools like ChatGPT or Bar or what have you, because I have seen mistakes. And that, that's what scares me is when you uh, come back and the, when the information comes back and it's incorrect, you know, it, it, it causes concern. I love having the conversation about like personal use cases for, you know, Gen AI and ChatGPT. What are your use cases? You say you use it every day. I also use it every day. So I'd be curious to hear more about that. So I use it as a reference, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things that, um, that I use, like I said, like that I use it for is just a reference instead of, you know, typing in, um, um, you know, in a, in a browser you know, a question, you can just type it there. Uh, I also use it for things like, you know, I do a lot of work in, in Excel and sometimes uh, I may need, I may need help with uh, an Excel equation or something like that. So I use it that way. Um, I use it just as a, for me in my role, at my, at my level, I use it for general information. So I, I don't do a lot of technical stuff anymore. 
I think there's a future where, you know, everybody's leveraging AI to do everything they want. So you, you know, you have specific AI for a specific use case. You know, the one that you used is, is the you reading user stories populating, uh, test cases, probably not going to be good to help you find, you know, pizza restaurant or something or order pizza. Um, so yeah, various different use cases. I, I, I see a future where, you know, everybody's using Gen AI and then everybody else becomes consultants to that single person. So I'm, I have Gen AI to get me 80% of all these areas that I need. And then I have the experts to help me finish that 20%. You know, there's ways to do this better, maybe change this wording. It should function like this, but you are able to make or allow people to really just focus on that, that, you know, that 80, 20 rule, that 20% of what they do really well and what they do valuable. And then a single person can get everybody to that 80%. And then everybody can, the rest of the people can focus on that, that 20% of actual value. Do you, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, from a, a QE perspective, I think, you know, there's, there's two narratives, right? Uh, and maybe you can talk about it to the automation side where you have like Gen AI and it's taking everyone's job and no one, no one's going to have a job anymore versus Gen AI is just helping everybody do things quicker and better. And you shouldn't actually, just because you can 10x one person doesn't mean you should get rid of nine people. That just means you can 10x 10 people and you have 100% more output. Maybe have you faced kind of something like that in the, the realm of queuing when you move towards autom automation? So are you asking about automation or are you asking about AI um, specifically? I, th I think I'm asking about AI specifically, but then using maybe your past experience through, through going from, you know, manual testing to more automation, how there might, you can do both in parallel and you don't actually need to worry about some of the, 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 the AI fears. I don't know if that works. If you can, if you can put that together. All right, let's. Well, let me, yeah, let me, let's break it, break it into two, to two parts. So, you know, when I think of, of QE, um, pre-onset of AI, the way that I like to structure my teams is that you have functional SMEs, functional SMEs, uh, and those SMEs ideally should be as, as, as good and as deep in an application or solution as a BA. I mean, they need to really mirror a BA in terms of their functional knowledge of how and application works. Separate and apart from that, you have automation experts. These are people that, you know, go very deep in, in automation and coding. So to say that is what I'm trying to say is that there is going to always be a need for manual and as well as automation. You're always going to need somebody to write the test cases before you automate them and to, to make sure they're correct. So, um, I think. I think there's, there's enough space for, for both to live in, in this world of quality engineering. Um, but you have to be one or the other, in my opinion, um, bringing on AI, um, that's only going to help. You're still going to need manual people to validate the information that you, you're, you're getting back from AI. You're still going to need people to validate, um, the snippets of code or the, 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 the programs that AI is bringing back to you, uh, but the world is changing. I mean, you're going to have to, and, and we're going to have to change as testers, meaning that you're going to have to make sure that you bucket yourself in one of these positions, um, because AI is coming and it's coming fast. 
Bobby, what programs do you think companies should implement to increase Black talent in technology? Oh, that's a good one. Um, that's a good one. So I think, you know, the focus on, on Black talent, uh, I think that needs to be part of a broader DI um, initiative or program. I think those programs to increase the number of Blacks in technology, I think it needs to be, I mean, it needs to start at the top. It needs to be supported um, from the very top, executive leadership, um, and it needs to be very intentional. Um, I think that program also needs to include what is the target, and that's all levels. That's not just a number. How, what, what should be the target that we should see in, in management? What should be the target? All levels of management and, and, and then our staff, right? Um, I think uh, that program should include Jennifer, more comprehensive training for, uh, not only, um, for everyone. So they understand the importance of DE&I and how, you know, how it benefits the company. And, and that needs to be, like I said, it needs to be very comprehensive training, not, not high level light training. Um, I think that one of the things that, that would also help, you know, um, more represent representation in tech is having uh, mentors and coaches uh, for, for for blacks. You know, and, uh, I think that if you have somebody that you can talk to, you can understand how to navigate some of the obstacles uh, that we often see in technologies as it as it relates to blacks. Um, I think other things that you can do is, uh, I said it starts with leadership, Jennifer, but it's also on us meaning we need to use our networks uh, to identify people that we think would be good fits within the company and promote that. You know, I think uh, the program also has to have uh, Black uh, representation throughout the entire hiring process, meaning that as part of the panel, you need to have representation. If not, um, I don't see it's going to be, you know, I don't see if, if, if I don't see a way that this is going to, um, I think it's going to be the, the same way that we've seen before, meaning that, uh, for whatever reasons, you know, we're not selected. Um, I think that we also need to expand your partnerships within, uh, HBCUs, uh, their tech programs and their, their placement departments, make sure that, um, you have solid partnerships and, and, and that we're sourcing from the right areas. Um, and then last but not least, I think that you need to make sure that uh, we have a way to measure that we are improving. So I think that's what a good program would look um, to me. Yeah, it's it's very comprehensive. And yeah, you kind of touched upon all the levels, right? Individual contributor to manager to executive level, support from the top, but also, um, you know, reaching out to each other, making sure you have mentors and coaches and measuring what matters. So you had a very, very comprehensive answer. Well, you know, this, we've worked together on this, Jennifer, so you know it's passionate We've had to these me. talks, yeah. It, you know, uh, it, and so, yeah, and, and even extending beyond that, I mean, there's, there are programs, there's STEM programs in high schools and, and inroads. And, you know, if, if, if this is an intentional um, initiative, we need to plug into those as well. I mean, there's lots of ways to find black talent um, 
you know, if you're, if you're really looking for. 100% agree. All right. So we are now transitioning into the bam, 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 <laughs> the heat check portion of the of today's episode. Um, the heat check is a segment where the interface co-hosts uh, share an interesting topic in either technology or uh, Black culture. Um, Bobby, as our honored guest today, feel free to chime in on any of the topics that are brought forward today. And I'm going to go first today. Um, so I was browsing this morning um, for my heat check topic, and I found an article um, uh, on USA Today about the M Apple Macintosh is turning 40 this year. Who, who else feels old? I always feel old. old here? That's, What's an Apple that's, Macintosh? That's just a given. I wake up and, I'm, and I go, <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I definitely, you know, remember a time before the Mac or even the, the big internet boom slightly, I'm, you know, slightly, um, but I'm interested around the room. Um, do you have a significant uh, memory with the Mac, Mac computer or, um, what was your first experience with the Mac? I'll say mine was definitely the, the, the color, the like candy colored all in one ones. Um, and everybody kind of wanted one and you could pick your favorite color. And it was just this new interesting thing that was like the, the hot item. You know, we didn't have influencers back then, but you definitely wanted. My, my favorite memory yeah. of that one was the movie Zoolander. Um, when that when they when the models were confused about how the files were in the computer, it's in the computer, and I make that joke to the, like I probably made it a few days ago because people are always like it's in the cloud or the <laughs> operations handles that or it just it just does that. It's kind of like oh, is it in the computer? <laughs> so um, I always think of those Max with that. Um, I probably have another better example, but, you know, I always take it back to uh, pop culture. Yeah. I <laughs> think really I remember being Maddie, what in about you? like kindergarten or first grade or something and going into the computer room and noticing the big old Macintosh <laughs> boxes, what you're saying, the color, you could like see through them. And then the the Mac had the the mouse that was just like one click or something. I don't remember. And just being like, wow, this is so cool. And it's so fresh and, and white and but I never used it because I couldn't understand like the differences. Um, but yeah, that I vaguely remember it. Bobby, what you were saying you, you were switching back and yeah. forth earlier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I have an interesting story. So believe it or not, um, they had Max, uh, my senior year at Prairie View. And I just remember, you know, being in awe because um, I'm dating myself, but I come from a world where we had typewriters and things like that. And, and just having computers and just looking back now and seeing that, you know, Apple, you know, Apple technology for a lot of people is still fairly new. I mean, it's been around forever, but we've always been Windows based and, and it kind of went away for a while. And then with the, um, when they came out with the iPod, I guess it was, or the i. Uh, yeah, 
the icon is when Apple kind of made a resurgence back into, uh, into uh, our culture and our world. So it's, I just reflect back and say that, you know, look, this is really like the first computer that I've, that I ever really worked on. And that was in the engineering lab. So, uh, those are my recollections of, uh, Apple turning 40. Awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. Okay. Mikey Crunch. Do you see my background covered in Chiefs? We're still in the playoffs. Do you know? You should know. Um, Bills, Chiefs played playoff divisional game um, last week. And, of course, Chiefs won. Chiefs, go Chiefs. Uh, I was on Twitter afterwards. I, I, you know, every time after a game, I like to go on Twitter and just, like, scroll through what people are saying. And in one of the, this is not a great story, but one of the comments was a picture of Taylor Swift and she was nude. And so my heat check today and it's titled in uh, tech crunch. They love the Taylor Swift, uh, well puns, but Swift retaliation fans strike back after explicit deep fakes flood, uh, X AKA Twitter. Um, so really, yeah, what happened was people are using AI to generate content. And in this case, they are generating images of celebrities in the nude or, or deep fakes, which are just like taking, um, people's pictures, their faces, and then, and then kind of putting them on other people's faces. In this case, it was completely AI generated. Um, just everyone in the picture is not real except for Taylor Swift's face and her, her likeness. And so it was just kind of an image of her kind of, yeah, in the nude. And yeah, this is starting to raise concerns. Um, and Swifties are all out and about. So they're just flooding, um, these social, uh, media places to make sure no one can find the images but really this there's a just a major underlying concern that's that's growing about uh, generating ai deep fakes and, and ai uh non-consensual uh pornographic images i when i was researching this topic i found out that people this was happening in schools with with people's children you know people are just taking and it, it goes a lot further from like a video that you create you put on your phone and it might get hacked or something leaked this is like people are putting, taking their pictures, putting on Instagram like anyone would do. And people are taking those pictures and then generating uh, new pictures from that. I, I'm, yeah, so we always talk about the pros and the benefits of AI. I, I am wondering, like, maybe have you guys thought of like this and maybe what you'd want to see moving forward when it comes to like uh, pornographic images of non-consensual people? That definitely needs to be a crime. Like, libel is a crime. You can't just say Taylor, you know, you, I don't even want to say things out loud, right? You can't just, like, say, oh, this person is, you know, defaming, you know, the Black community or using bad language with, and it not be true. And to me, that kind of falls under that same thing. You should not be um, generating content that is a lie. I don't know how, how it can be enforced. I think that's I, probably the I, tricky part, but that to me, that just is unacceptable, especially if, you know, youth, if it's in high school or even younger children are susceptible to this. Yeah, I, I think it, it needs to be a crime for sure. And I think it needs to have serious consequences. We've seen um, in other areas where, where, you know, kids are getting bullied and then they go off and, and, and sometimes they, they kill themselves, you know, they, um, uh, they can't take it and imagine, 
uh, in this world that we live, if if someone got a hold of that technology and and um, you know created images of someone doing something that wasn't true, and you know half the world's going to believe it's that that person, and half the world's going to believe it's not. And I can only imagine the stress and the embarrassment that someone could go through. So I, it needs to be it needs to have a very very um, a, a stern punishment for doing that kind of stuff. I mean, that's one of the dangers of AI, getting, getting outside of uh, your heat check. But what information did you believe? I mean, it all seems real. So it's going to be very the, hard uh, to depict, ETF, you know, what's true and what's false. Craze, like six months ago. Oh, we're making, we're making this image and we're making an ETF or what was it? Uh, NFT, sorry. No, NFT, uh, Beanie EFT? Baby Fun, we're. We're just going to make an image and now it's an NFT and you can pay money. I, I think that there is an actual use case that starts to come with all this AI generated content. So it's, it's a real content. It has an NFT, you know, associated tag to that image. And now if I'm on the interwebs and I'm looking at an image, I should be able to verify that's a real image based on that EFT. I could see something like that, you know, and maybe it'll help with credibility potentially. I don't know how all that works though. So, yeah, it's insane. It's funny. I was watching a movie last night, and it was there was this like AI machine that was like warping voice voices, and somebody made a statement like the only thing that we know is real is this actual conversation that we're having with people that I can touch in this room. <laughs> um, and while mm -hmm. you know all this technology is wonderful and it can do so many great things there's always that flip side of it being you know in the wrong hands and people taking advantage of other folks and i'm really interested in you know the type of legislation that's going to continue to come down about um how we're using this technology and what you know punishments will be appropriate for people who are misusing it totally agree yeah that's very unfortunate, and I wish people spent more time, spent their time on something more uh, productive to society than the Swifties are on the case. Trying to, oh. Yeah, trying to shame people or embarrass people. That's just not good. Looking to expand your career? Work with brilliant minds, cutting edge science and AI, and a company voted best place to work and most loved workplace. Check out open positions with pros at www.pros.com slash careers. Okay, my turn. Um, Take it away. My article that I read was called is from Bite Bite Go newsletter. Netflix. What happens when you press play? So anyone that's ever interviewed with me, or if you are going to interview with me, um, I like to ask the question. I just take a random and Netflix. I think I have used Netflix before, and I just, I just ask people, how do you think this works, or how if you were going to design this service. How would you break that down into um, what, you know, object-oriented, when you talk about object-oriented programming, how would you break down the objects? How would you design this application from a services architecture? You know, what services would you need to do this, you know, to, to implement something like that? And typically I'm looking for um, basically any service like Netflix or anything, right? You have to log in. So there's some sort of security platform. Um, you've got to persist account information. There's usually preferences or a watch list. I can't remember how Netflix calls it, but something like that where you're doing that. Um, if it's something online, maybe there's comments or 
ratings and you know how would you organize all that information so i really uh was excited to see this article about what happens when you press play at netflix um they actually um they they ha are in two clouds they use aws for like their um their typical application like the the app you have on your device your phone or you know your your smart tv or whatever um when you're logging in and scrolling and seeing a catalog, that's all done in AWS. And then they have a different system for streaming the content and where they, you know, where they actually store the movies and the TVs um, that, you know, uh, TV shows that you're watching. Um, and so they go kind of go into a few things, um, but they originally um, kind of had all their servers in-house. And a long time ago, I think they said 2008 was when, it's kind of, I think, Maddie, you mentioned this before, what Netflix's 20%, what they're good at is um, providing movies and delivering content to people. And they weren't so good at managing servers and all this stuff that goes on that, around there. So that's when they were like, we're just going to outsource, that's going to go to AWS and we're going to concentrate on people's experience, um, you know watching streaming video and this is even back when they were emailing out dvds i think is when they made this decision so i always find that fascinating as especially uh, you know we know how we deliver software and how we're architected and i'm always interested in other examples of how these big companies are making the, de the decisions that they're making um yeah you're gonna prompt us Prompt us for a question. Think, was there anything else? Okay, so we can. There. <laughs> I know. I didn't set you all up for a question, did I? Um... Like, here's a bunch of information. Yeah. I Now, <laughs> now I'm that's great. Stumped. I No, I like how you broke that down. <laughs> I, what, I need to work on what, this, guys. Um, what, what was your takeaway? Let me hit you with a question. I, I think my takeaway was the point that. Um, you need to think out, I'm in the business of what? Am I in the business of managing a bunch of servers? No, I'm in the business of streaming movies. Let's put our intellectual capital okay. and our energy and our resources into making that the best experience and knowing when to say this is something that is just assisting us in our main business goal, but we don't need to spend a lot of resources figuring out these problems that other companies have already figured out. And that's their main purpose of the, you know, of their business. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, that's Bobby's how thinking. businesses become businesses. I I think my follow-up question is always like, at what point do you know? And I feel like the answer is you'll know um, when you should move on. Um, but like, you know, you, you kind of always start doing things. But then when you get to that point where you're like, okay, we're we're doing this process or we have this, this idea on. Um, but like, and we're doing it manually, but there's this company that does it really, really. You, you got to do that cost benefit analysis, right? You got to be like, okay, right. I, it, I'm going to have to hire a team of 10 people and send them to training and make sure I have 24 seven coverage to do this. How much does that cost? Or, you know, versus, okay, if I outsource to this other thing, what does that cost? How is it going to scale over time? Is you know. You know, is this is this a cost that's going to keep increasing every year? Do I like the way it's increasing over over the years? Uh, you you you've got to kind of put some data towards that. 
to decide. Have, I mean, in your personal life, right? have you done anything like that? I know I have. I'm dealing with this. This is my cognitive load. I'm just going to outsource this part of these chores to you, and I'm not going to worry about it. So we definitely do that in our personal life. Yeah, that's how I feel about my lawn. I don't have space for a lawnmower. Yeah. I don't have, I don't want to maintain a lawnmower. So I just ask someone else to mow my lawn and I pay for it. It's awful thinking that, you know, you, you tend to consistently have an issue with or it slows you down or it's really inefficient and you're like, there has to be a better way to do this and let me go find another option um, because this is wasting a lot of time. It's causing me a lot of frustration or what I'm good at, I don't get a chance to focus on because I'm spending so much time on this this other thing that I'm probably not very good at. Um, it's definitely a use case for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of the fundamental principles of software development is like, don't reinvent the wheel. So especially if you're starting from scratch, kind of like, yeah. oh, you know, I need a, you know, I need a library to, to, uh, you know, manage um, database connections. Well, there's got to be a zillion out there. You're not going to build that from scratch. So, you know, you're going to use something that exists out there. Yeah. 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 Don't bog down your life with that if, you know, if there's another way to do it. Thank you, Bobby, for hanging out with us today. Where can people find you out on the interwebs? You can find me on both LinkedIn and Facebook under Bobby Kyle. Look forward to connecting soon. Awesome. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your colleagues, friends, and family. Drop us a line at interfacepodcast at pros.com or find us on LinkedIn. Your feedback is important to keep the show valuable and relevant, so please rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening from. We encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own. We will meet you back here on the next episode. From our crew to you, have a good one.